This is your coffee break. Hi, friends. I am here this beautiful evening with Caitlin Marison, who is a writer and who's recently come out with a book. We're going to have what I think is going to be a really great conversation today about what it really means to be an artist and what upholds us not only externally, but internally as an artist or a writer. And so, Caitlin, would you like to start us off with just a few things about yourself? Oh, sure. And thank you for having me. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, as a child, I, I always, always dreamed of being a writer. But then when I reached the age to enter college, I just really doubted that I could do what I dreamed about doing. And so I, you know, I took some well-intentioned advice. And it was really the only thing my self-doubts would allow me to do. Do, and that is to enter kind of a degree program and career path that I could do, but it, it never helped me feel alive. Um, and so what I did is I spent many years um, in an accounting executive role and um, decided several years ago it was time, time to just kind of take this leap and figure out what was really inside of me because um, the way it felt to be living just didn't feel real. It didn't feel authentic. It felt oh. like I was standing kind of on the sidelines of my life. And so I kind of, you know, I took that leap and went part time there and just started exploring different things. Um, it's been a really winding path these past <laughs> several years, I can say. Oh, I bet. Um, but earlier this year, when I started writing my book, that's when I felt like I was coming home. Mm, I love that. I love that feeling, that coming home. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. So, you know, there's, it's a level of peace that I feel that really is beyond words. And as a writer, I'm not sure that's a great thing, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like you mentioned before we, before we started uh, recording that it had snowed a bunch the week before. And, it's like that, you know, those mornings or those moments when there isn't anything you can do. Mm. Like you're completely just snuggled in, whatever that case may be. And so you can't push yourself to do anything differently and except to just be present in that moment. And I know for myself when I've experienced those moments of being snowed in or there's a storm or whatever the case may be, that I'm just at at this calm state of, you know, there isn't anything else I can do about this in this moment. So I'm mm. just going to be and be present. And it's that sense of like, there's a surrendering to that, but also this, um, instead of seeking approval outside of myself. So instead of looking externally to get to a certain place, to push myself to be on a certain ladder, to take a certain step, all of a sudden what was happening as I was writing and really embracing that part of me, it just sort of kept unfolding. And in the unfolding, it was like coming inward. So it was almost mm. like the like a flower, like coming inward, but it wasn't coming inward and like dying. It was yeah. coming inward and, and like coming alive. You know how yeah. a, um, a dandelion, you know, kind of blooms the first time as this yellow flower. And then it folds into itself, but it's still this strong plant that's living. 
and it continues to unfold and it's a completely new flower. It com- looks completely different. And I can say that's what's been happening. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I've been nodding this whole time that you've been saying that. I think that a lot of people listening to this are going to identify with that feeling. I love that of folding in and rediscovering yourself. Mm, that's what it was, has been. Oh, <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> and I hope it, I hope it does continue. And that is a, that's a beautiful metaphor for that feeling. Mm, thank you. I love that. I, I love the idea of the, the snowed in. What a beautiful metaphor. I always say that I think I write better when it's raining. And, you know, you always try to figure out, oh, is it the white noise? Is it, you know, whatever. I think it's a little bit like your snowed in metaphor of of being in a calm state of realizing you can't go outside and do all those, you know, gardening chores and stuff you have to do. You have to stay inside and you have to be present and you have to just be okay with existing. I think that those limiting of your choices, whether it be snowed in or if it's raining outside or, or what have you, there's something really beautiful and magical and, and like you said, centering about that. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, yeah, my gosh. I think in a way it's like the, you know, life and the environment gave permission to write. Yes. You know, when it storms, it's like you have permission from the external world. Go ahead. Write. Oh, my gosh. That is so true. And like the whole time you were saying that, I was just <laughs> nodding. I know you can't see me, but I was just... <laughs> nodding with this big dopey smile on my face because I know that feeling and I love that feeling and I love love thinking about it as coming home. I want to mm-hmm. ask I want to ask about something that you mentioned in your introduction. You said you received some well-intentioned advice. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like that advice was maybe to um you said accounting, work in accounting. Correct. Yeah. Can, can you tell me more about about that and Sure. So, and I'll preface this with that. I do think the accounting, the, excuse me, the accounting field is is a great career path. I, I have worked with people that thrive in it and you can just see like their eyes light up and it's, it's just awesome. However, it doesn't do that for me. And, but at that time in my life, you know, 18 years old, trying to make those you know, big decisions on what I was going to study and looking at it at that time of, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? I mean, uh-huh. that, that just felt so big. So, you know, family around me and some teachers who just saw some inherent skills that I have that can translate as far as like being organized and detail-oriented and those types of things can translate into that type of field. They pinpoint those and also... And I understand from those that love you, it can be scary to say, you know, the creative path is really just inherently uncertain. Mm -hmm. And so this career path, accounting has some very known steps. You take certain classes, you take certain exams, here's a, you know, a a particular career path that you can follow, everyone needs accountants those types of things. Mm-hmm. And so it became a safe, it became safe advice when, you know, someone in your close knit sphere is looking at you as being, gosh, you know, she's nervous about making, you know, these decisions. What kind of advice can I give to help calm that decision? And also looking at certain skill sets and their, you know, and just own, you know, wanting that person that you care about to be secure in life. Mm-hmm. However, that's defined. Yeah. Um, And so I think all of those dynamics came into play. And really, I was in a place of 
know, I talked about being, you know, centered in myself and everything. And I didn't feel that at that time. I didn't feel strong enough to really go against advice I was receiving. Mm -hmm. Even if I didn't, even if I felt inside, it wasn't what I really wanted to do. I didn't feel I could stand up to that. And I, I don't necessarily feel like I would have had to fight and debate. That's not how my family environment was. Mm -hmm. But at the same point, there was some level of, you know, I would have had to go against what was being, you know, advice Mm -hmm. given to me. And that as someone who doesn't like to, you know, elect to join in conflict, Mm -hmm. I did, Mm -hmm. I didn't um, have the internal strength to do that and then go on my own path. I gotcha. And you know what, I think, again, what you're saying resonates so much with me. I was always a creative person in my first job out of college. I got a corporate job that, you know, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but that's, you know, that's what you feel you need to do. I'm curious. So if you were in that same position, what advice would you give yourself at that age? Mm. You know, I I definitely learned a lot of valuable lessons. Um, I would not give that same advice to me. I think what I've learned, I've now been able to gain a lot better understanding as far as what I do share in my book and just in relating with different people, I can say I'd, you know, I'd, I'd rather have learned that in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think, you know, looking at that stage in my life, I would actually inform myself that I didn't need to make a decision. I could have, you know, instead explore, take different classes. Don't make a decision at that point. At 18 years old or whenever you're, if you're in a place, no matter what age you are, if the decision feels that heavy and uncertain, you don't have to make a decision. Explore different options and pay attention to what really lights you up, what really gets you excited, what really looks like, gosh, this is something I could see myself getting really, you know, delving into and maybe exploring for a level of mastery, you know, or whatever the case may be. So, That's what I would recommend is take the pressure off of making a decision because you don't have to. I love that. And I've, it's something that nobody ever tells you because we're trained to be decisive and we're trained to, to do that. Oh my gosh. You made a transition um, after you decided that maybe you were not in a a position that was maybe not the right fit for you. And I think we've all been there. And and you talked about um, standing up against something or or maybe the courage or the strength. How did you find that strength or that courage? Or how did it dawn on you that you could do something else, that you could um, live a more fulfilling life? You know, a lot of it, it came to a point where I couldn't go any further. Like I was feeling so down and depressed in a way and also suppressed, like just Mm. this really heavy feeling of being held down, Mm -hmm. you know, and just as I spent more time with, okay, what is going on? You know, what's, what's the underlying, the core, it's the very core of things. And I just started exploring you know, talking with different folks and going on like informational interviews and Mm -hmm. just having conversations with folks and seeing how people were living outside of what was my normal day-to-day life. Mm. And I started seeing, you know, other people are really doing this. You know, I would read about different things and make scenes, you know, Mm -hmm. but that felt so removed from my world. 
from my interactions because those people were they were in print or they were on video or something like that. They were so removed from my world. And so what I started to do was engage with folks that were just outside of my sphere. So I started volunteering a lot in different organizations and talking to different folks and just seeing different ways that they lived. And it gave me permission to start exploring more. And so at first for me, it took getting permission from the external world Mm -hmm. to just see like, okay, you know, it's okay for me to kind of do this. And I, I did struggle a lot with just that it was okay for me. Like, I could definitely say, oh, it's definitely okay for anyone else. You mm-hmm, know, but it, mm-hmm. it took me for oh, oh, quite a while to go, <laughs> but I'm okay. It's okay for me too. That also kind of butted up against some other complexities and, and my own self-doubts and getting to the core of once I started seeing that level, okay, I'm seeing that there is permission, you know, in the world to to kind of live your own path and, and do things that, you know, really make you thrive internally. Why am I struggling to believe that it is okay for me mm-hmm. when anyone that sits in front of me or talks to me, I would say, absolutely, it is for you, Yeah, you know, for you to do that. So I started really trying to dig down and get into the core things that were occurring within me. And I, I took a... um I researched myself (laughs) to say that I started writing a lot, journaling and writing a lot of, okay, what's the pattern that I'm seeing? What is going on? What belief, what, what's the limiting thoughts or, or the thoughts that are coming and what's their patterns? What, when am I being really triggered um, with my self doubts and just started looking at the patterns to Mm. see what it was. And I started really recognizing at the very core I didn't believe that I was valuable as a person, Mm. Um, that I really was just insignificant. And in order to have any significance or value, I needed to be something different than who I was. Mm. And so in coming to that realization, it was hard to recognize that because at the same time, I just wanted to hug myself. (laughs) It was like, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, for... For realizing that and it just started with that you know and there was kind of like in getting to that understanding and awareness there was also this little glimpse of of like hope that you know just maybe that belief is wrong mm. oh. you know just just maybe and as I kept being with that maybe it helped me kind of hold the door open for the possibility that what I want to do and contribute in the world and, and really that I didn't, if I didn't do anything and didn't contribute anything, that that doesn't diminish my value as a person in any way. Hmm. Really going in and um, just hitting that place of there was no way for me to keep going forward because I wasn't going to be able to go forward unless I took the time to really go inward and get to the very core of things. Oh my gosh. First of all, I applaud you for doing that. That is that takes a level of self-awareness that I think a lot of us maybe don't have or don't know that we have or don't know to seek out or don't feel like we have permission to seek out. And so I'm I'm so glad you did that. You know, I struggle with self-worth. I think a lot of writers struggle with that. You know, we're quiet, we're introverted, and and uh we don't see ourselves as maybe bombastic earth shakers or 
we don't have permission to do that stuff. I know I'm a very obedient person by nature. And so it is really hard to say like, yeah, you can do this. You can mm-hmm. start out, you know. So thank, thank you for sharing that with me. I was just, um, I, I, once again, I was vehemently nodding, but I also got a little choked up because that just resonated so deeply. Thank you. But I, I also, I think you bring up a really wonderful point in, in that for folks that tend to be more, more quiet and, and appreciate the quietness. And we were here talking with writers is that you go into that quiet space to do that. There's so much value in what you share in those thoughts The the quiet allows you to put together letters that bring about so much meaning for people. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's, you know, there's been, you know, words that I've read at just the right exact time that I mm-hmm. needed to hear them, you know, and someone took the time to express that. That is immeasurable. And I think that is a form of being charismatic in its own way. I think you're right. And it's it's being charismatic and it's being like a, a very quiet type of, in, of extrovert. And mm-hmm. it also... I don't know. It's also a type of not necessarily self-sacrifice, but of of deep charity. I'm not and not charity like oh I'm you know I'm going to throw a dollar into your coffee can, but mm-hmm. um, just giving of yourself, and that is immensely beautiful. It really is. Oh, you were in a bad place, and um, you had some very very deep, very uh, provoking realizations, and you kind of instead of ignoring them, you allowed yourself within the possibility of exploring some of the things that you were thinking and some of the doubts about, you know, your lack of self-worth or whatever, um, how you measured that. And you wrote a book. Did you, and and you had taken some classes and such, and was The Artist's Pillars, which is um, the book that I'm familiar with, did was that your first book? It is my first book, yes. Tell me what moved you to go from sort of that uh, internal blooming, so to speak, that internal self-discovery to wanting and desiring to write a book that would then share your experiences with others. You know, it's interesting when that internal blooming is, is really taking form and kind of strengthening within itself. My experience was that it became this natural desire to want to extend externally. Mm-hmm. So it was like almost like, you know, it reaches the point of like, I've done what I need to internally. And I say that I'm continuing to grow internally. Oh, yeah. so I don't mean that. <laughs> but I'm done. at that yeah. point, it's like, you know, it's bloomed. So now it needs to be in the world. And just as I started experiencing the results and feeling what I felt and what I keep experiencing, I'm like, I want to share this with other folks. I know how bad it feels Mm -hmm. on the other side. And, you know, if I can share what's inside of me and create this resource for folks who it resonates with, I want it to be there. Mm -hmm. And so it that in itself became a drive. You know, there's just certain things that have just made a big impact for my own life. And I, I want that to be there for others, you know, if it resonates with them. And you know, it, it was so amazing in writing the book itself and that it's such a beautiful thing in writing when it seems like it's somewhat disjointed, you know, what you're writing mm-hmm. and just the process is like kind of all over the place. And all of a sudden, it's like the spider's web that just all of a sudden things start connecting. Mm. And I started recognizing that. So 
when I started the book, I felt like I'd already journaled a lot. I'd already kind of downloaded a bunch of information and I felt like I had a good core of where things were going. But in the writing of it itself, I made even more discoveries of my own path, of things that I'd learned. And and then the layers kept going. I started learning even more. Well, I wrote this book earlier this year and then published it myself in, in August. I continue to read it, mm. I think. Because it's, um, you know, it's a practice of just, um, you know, practicing these things that I've learned that have helped these kind of fundamentals. And I think that that's another piece is that it becomes, you know, when we write something down, it it becomes grounded, it it takes form. And so we can see it even more, at least that's how it, it works for me. So in writing this book, you know, all this that was inside of me kind of took even a stronger form that I'm able to go back to and re-remind myself and and learn on a new layer. Mm-hmm. All of that just became that underlying driving force to continue through the creative process to get it out in the world. You are very insightful. <laughs> I wish I had all of your wisdom. This is That was just so beautifully said. So this book that you wrote, you you wrote it to ground your words, to help others, to help yourself. Would you mind telling us a little bit about the premise of your book and a little bit of what it's about? Sure. And um, so like you mentioned, it's titled An Artist Pillars, and it's really written specifically for folks that they have something they want to create, but feel held back by their own self-doubts. And so they're feeling it's, you know, the next step they need to take just feels really impossible. And so what I've, I share through the book is just different fundamentals that I've learned in order to believe in yourself and, and give what you want to create an opportunity to exist. Mm. And so through it, I'm not promising that self-doubts go away. And in fact, not at all. But what, what I've experienced um, that happens is that you change your relationship with self-doubts. And so you know, the way that they cripple you doesn't occur anymore. And one of the things that I share in the book, I call them pillars. I've, you know, identified kind of four pillars is where I focus on in the book. And so one of them is called tenderness. And that's treating yourself with compassion and understanding. I know, you know, when I've tried to force myself to believe in myself or take a step. You may hear different advice that says, well, you just have to believe in yourself. You know, you just have to. Mm-hmm. Well, if you are someone that feels kind of this sense of dread and hopelessness, because when you hear that phrase, you don't believe in yourself, mm-hmm. you know, it really can be even more debilitating. And so within that, you know, framework of tenderness is that, you know, our inner critic shows up that voice, it shows up. But instead of taking the words that occur so literally, or trying to force it away and push it away and suppress it, because, you know, that's not a form of tenderness for yourself. It's allowing it because in allowing it and allowing yourself to hear and to really hear it deeper, you actually then allow all parts of yourself to exist. Mm. And so instead of You know, anytime we try, I try, I've tried to, you know, suppress a part of me, whether that's my inner critic or feelings or whatever the case may be. I'm sending a subtle message to my psyche that part of me is not okay. But in doing that, you know, there's part of me that wonders, 
well, what other parts of me do I feel are not okay? And so it just creates this, you know, vicious pattern of self-doubts and insecurities really taking over your life. And so instead, what I share in the book is to change the relationship and, you know, allow all those parts in. And so in when I mentioned here deeper, look at what the patterns are. Don't get hung up on the words themselves, but look at what the patterns are. When is your inner critic showing up? What is the common language that keeps being brought about? And ask, you know, what is the message here? Because that's all part of our human inner language. What's occurring, our feelings, the sensations, inner critic. It's all communicating to us. And, you know, I'll just kind of pause for a second. The creative process, it does highlight our insecurities, but it's not meant to beat you down. Mm. It's really here to ask you to step into who you fully are. And that's the same thing with our inner critic. They're just delivering messages. And it, it's a heightened form of a message to show what beliefs you are carrying that hold you back. And so in seeing those patterns and asking, okay, what is my inner critic trying to teach me? What is it trying to highlight to me in a way that's holding me back? And to hear what that message is gives you the power to then decide if you want to continue to believe that or if you want to work with that to then move forward. And to give an example of that, putting this book together and writing it, it's vulnerable to put it out there. There's so much of me in mm-hmm. it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and with any writing, whether you're writing fiction, I mean, there's so much of you in that. That's your imagination, you know, coming to life. So the expression of writing and everything is just vulnerable. Um, being that exposed triggered a lot of self-doubts for me mm-hmm. through the process. And so, you know, I had to do my own work. And, um, and in that, I realized that I was believing that all the T's had to be crossed, all the I's dotted in order for, the, for people to find the book valuable. Mm. And when I recognized that, I realized that, you know, I was continuing to hold myself back and I didn't need to do one more read through and one more edit. I'd already done enough to where I felt like I could answer the question, is this a quality product? And as long as I felt I could answer that yes versus, you know, is it perfect? Is mm-hmm. it a quality product? When I could say yes, then it was time. Mm-hmm. And where the value is, is in me sharing it. And perfect, that's perfect, mm-hmm. is in sharing it. You know, so it didn't, you know, all the T's and all the I's, they may not be dotted and crossed. Um, it may not be perfect grammar, but... It was time. Yeah. You know, the material was ready. I was ready. And so my inner critic, while it wasn't pleasant, but when I started listening to it and hearing it as a friend, what is what is the message you're giving me versus, oh, my gosh, those words really hurt this. You know, I can't go forward. Okay, what is the message here? It changes things and it actually helped me stop my own perfectionist drive. And so within the book, that's something I go into further as far as, okay, how do you hear the messages? You know, how do you calm yourself when you're in those moments and feeling anxious and your heart is closing and you're, you know, impounding? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you do that? How do you get yourself into a calm place that allows yourself to then hear? You mentioned self-awareness. That is such a big thing in that 
I don't mean you need to have that first. Once I started recognizing the interlocking links there of everything, that was the awareness I needed to go, is that the way I want to continue with this? And so you don't need to have the awareness before you sit with these types of materials. You know, I'm not saying you need to do all that kind of work, but it's in the process itself. It's in asking those questions. It's in relating with yourself and relating and engaging with your internal dialogue and internal personal conversation that then you gain the awareness. And what's beautiful is once you start in that moment, you gain one level Mm. and it may be in a month as you continue in that dialogue and just relating with yourself in a different way, you gain another level. And it just keeps in somewhat unraveling, but also unfolding and blooming in all new ways. You talked before about building those layers, and this is maybe a more detailed way of doing that. Yeah. Um, We've talked a little bit about self-doubt and insecurity, and I love your idea of making your self-doubt a friend. I feel like I just took a college course I, I kind of want to send you this picture. I just, I while you were talking, I took these notes and I have a full page of, of scribbly, scrabbly notes that I took <laughs> while you were talking and there's arrows and stars and all sorts of doodles all over the place. And Oh, thank um, you. That's, that's a tremendous compliment. Yeah, you. you know, when you need to take notes when someone else is speaking that they're saying something, you know, worth keeping. And so, wow, Caitlin, this is amazing. Thank you so, so much for your time today. I have, I think, um, I have one more question. And then, I well, I, technically, I have a thousand more questions for you. Um, but I, I definitely want to do this again if, that, if that's okay. Um, oh, great. But for today, I have one more question. And that is, what is the best piece of advice you've received from a mentor? The best advice, I would say, was to listen within and to give that voice its value. If we ask someone for advice or sometimes it comes uninvited, you know, for the most part, it is well-intentioned. They mean the best Mm -hmm. as far as extending some sort of advice to you. But no one can know the entirety of your experience. No one can know all of the different thoughts and dynamics and emotions that you have in your life or that you take into consideration when you're trying to make, if it's a decision about something in the future for yourself, something you're planning, you know, a relationship, wherever the case may be. But really, no one can know everything that is going on inside of you. And so they're bringing their advice from a very limited standpoint. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. You don't need to disclose everything in order to get advice. But what that means is that you are your best guide. And so it's wonderful to get advice from other folks, you know, get ideas, get insights, what, you know, wisdom have they gained in their life, but then take that in. And what is coming up for you from your own inner voice, and give that its value and weight in your decision making. Mm -hmm. That is very, very insightful. I'm gonna like, Sorry, I'm like starting to like go into fangirl mode. And so I apologize for that. (laughs) I'm like, I'm just like, whoa. Oh, thank you. I mean, it really, your enthusiasm and support is is very much a compliment and an honor. And uh, I can say for anyone out there who 
gets nervous about sharing what is inside of them, once you start, it's a true testament of how um, how just amazing the experiences become. Caitlin, thank you so much for for sharing your experience with us today. You are just you are so insightful and. I can't wait for your podcast to come out, actually. I'm really excited about that to, oh, thank you. <laughs> to get your voice in my ear once a week. And and I imagine when I when I listen to it, I'm just going to be like, my mind is just going to be blown every time. Like, not to put pressure on you, but seriously, you are, you are a treasure. So thank you thank so you. much for your time today, for your voice that you've given us. Thank you for giving us permission to be writers and to extend and bloom beyond ourselves. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you, Sarah, and thank you for all you're doing. (laughs) You are welcome. Mm